Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 102 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 102 or 102 or 102, I'm not really sure what's the right way to say it anymore. But in this episode, Scott and I are going to be talking about James chapter 1. Not so much in the sense of talking about the entire chapter like we used to do a couple of seasons ago or maybe even last season about, you know, dissecting a particular chapter and talking about, you know, ideas for how to memorize it better or, or strategies or how it related to other chapters within the material, but rather we're going to use James chapter one, or really even just the first, I don't know, handful of verses, uh, three to five verses of James chapter one to talk about two big ideas. The first is uh, uh, basically how to memorize. Um, so we're actually going to kind of walk through different ways of memorizing, say, James chap- uh, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, uh, different rote methods. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about an outline chunked blocked method that I use, um, but we'll kind of be talking through those two things and other sorts of memorization ideas and actually talk about, like, how would you use those ideas and what does it mean? And why is one better than the other for one person, but the inverse for somebody else and that kind of stuff. And then we are going to switch over and talk about writing questions, which kind of seems a little weird, maybe on its face, like we're talking about memorization, which is something quizzers do, and then talking about question writing, which is what question writers do. But I think learning how question writing works and various different ways of question writing informs memorization and vice versa. And so if we're thinking of both of these ideas within the context of each other, I think both benefit. So we're going to be talking about how to write questions. And there's a bunch of different ways to go about doing that. So we're going to look at you know, the first three to five verses of James chapter one, talking about how to write interrogatives, multiple answers, reference questions, and so forth, and the different ways that different writers approach the material. So Scott and I write questions um, structurally, well, not structurally, our, our process for writing questions is very different. We, we arrive at the same questions at, at the end point, but how we get there is very different. And so we're going to be talking about um, the sort of the how and, and the why of the how uh, behind that. All right. So with all that said, let's jump into memorizing uh, James chapter one, verses one, two, and three. So Scott, do you want to kind of kick off here and just kind of say, like, if you were a quizzer, uh, you know, memorizing the first three verses here in James chapter one, what, what is a way that you would do it or what would be your preferred way? And then what are some other ways that you have heard of other quizzers memorizing? All right. So what I would do first is I, I go very, very slow and I make sure to, um, note any, I get note anything noteworthy, which is not helpful yet. But, um, first off, whenever I'm reading a verse, I say the full reference. So I say James one, one, Um, And I do that um, not only in years where there's more than one book, but I I just did that all the time because it helped me um, keep the reference firm in my mind because when I was recalling things, hearing the reference, so James 1.1, James 1.18, James 2.1, that was my trigger. So once I heard that, I would recall the rest of it, and I wanted to be able to do that based off of just the reference. So it helped to say James 1.1 and not 1.1, or um, I didn't say James chapter 1, verse 1. I just said James 1.1. 1, 1. 
But then I would start reading it, taking note of all the punctuation, any words that maybe I don't know how to pronounce or think that they might might be pronounced differently. I don't think there's any of those in the first three verses, but I would just read carefully. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, I see there's a comma after Christ, but then there's a capitalized T-O. And I find it's just, it's interesting to note those things, even though they're not useful for quizzing, that the T-O is capitalized. Um, But if that is the way that it is in the source text, then it it just provides something for me to remember, right? Um, Making the material more memorable. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, and then there's a colon, greetings. James 1, 2, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters. So I'm, I'm making sure to pause at the commas because I am hoping, I am hoping, hoping, hoping that the quiz masters will just read it as it's written. And those commas um, have a pause, right? That's how we talk. So that's how I'm going to read it. And that's how I'm going to quote it back. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I will note that there's not a period there. It just continues into the next verse. So maybe I'll see an interrogative that spans the end of verse two and the beginning of verse three. But I will say James 1, 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then I might go back and see like, oh, what words are in blue, which means they're global unique. Let's see, there's James, 12, tribes, scattered, whenever, trials, testing. So I might just say them again. I might look for other things. Um, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many places, I believe, in the in the New Testament where it says, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But here it says, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and in the event that James 1.1 1, 1 is a, um, a verse for a quote or finish, you will want to know that tiny detail. Um, and I, I'll just kind of go over it that way. Um, and so right up front, I'm reading it. I'm getting familiar with it. I'm looking for interesting things. Um, these verses are not particularly long or particularly short. I guess verse 3 is a little bit short. So that's kind of how I would go about it, and I wouldn't really start to try to quote it back from memory yet. I will do other things, whether it's write it down or um, record myself saying it and then listen listen to it back on audio or write questions on it. I will do those things first. Some other things that I've heard people do, I knew one quizzer who really wanted to know the references well who would look at verse 1 and memorize it completely and securely. And then would go to verse 5 and do the same thing. And then would go to verse 10. And they would do that every five verses. And then they would repeat and practice it. And then they would fill in the other verses. But then they found when they got to a quiz meet and they were asked to quote James 1.7, they could mentally, they would just, their mind would fly to verse 5 because it was so solid. And then they would say, okay, what's two verses down from that? And then they would do seven. <laughs> Um, and I thought that that was a clever way to do that because I think it was admitting that like while the ideal is to know every verse incredibly well, maybe the time that it requires to get to that level is either not possible or not worth it to you. Um, but if you try to memorize every fifth verse really, really solidly, then it gives you those mental signposts to find the verses in between. I thought that was a clever way. And I'm not really sure about other ways that people would have memorized. I don't know if people just dive in and then do the kind of Awana or Bible camp thing of writing it on a whiteboard and then trying to erase words um, or listening to it on um, audio a lot or other. I'm not really sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard a couple of different ideas. I I like the whiteboard idea. I don't know how many people have done that. Um, I tried doing that on paper and then using a giant black marker to like mark out words as I went along. 
And for me, I mean, that worked okay, but I don't know that it was necessarily all that much better than just sitting there, you know, reading the verse a hundred times, right? Like, like, so if it took me, um, 20 times to read the verse and cross out a word, is it substantially better to cross out the word versus just reading the first 20 times, right? Um, and then trying to do it without looking and uh, along the way and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure. For me, it didn't really make much of a difference. I've heard for some people that that actually makes a huge difference. Uh, one method that I have heard in, you know, song and legend exists out there somewhere, which I have never, ever been able to make work for me is what I'll call the brute force rote method, where you you literally just James 1, 1, James a servant, and you just quote the whole thing and you just do it again and again and again. You read it out loud, you recite, you recite, you check, you repeat, and you don't move on to verse two until it's just absolutely perfect in your head. And for some people, like if they're good at rote memorization, that brute force method apparently works really well for them where they just, they look at the material, they say it a few times, uh, they turn away, they say it, they check the material again. And they just brute force it in into their heads that way. For me, that didn't work very well. For me, um, I, I've, I've well, sorry. Before I move on to my way, um, another way I've heard is um, sort of globbing up groups of words and forming pictures with them. So James, a servant of, servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ, somebody would put a, an image of James in their head and as like a servant with like. A, a personage version of God and, and then the Lord Jesus Christ standing next to God, which granted Trinitarians are throwing tomatoes and pitchforks at me right now. But, you know, visually you sort of imagine that based on the words, not the meanings. And then you say, okay, great. Now James is a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got that visual stuff in my head. Now I can recall that, that first set of stuff that works in a lot of cases, but sometimes, you know, Creating those images can be tricky, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about uh, certain parts of scripture. It's hard to convert that into a into a mental image. Uh, so for me, what I would do, I would create, I guess, what you call an outline or a mental outline of chunked blocks of material. And so, like, if you look in in verse uh, verse one of uh, so James one one, I would see. I would sort of take the words that are there and I would build an outline structure. And granted for one, one, it's not a tremendous outline structure, but like James is sort of node one. Node two is a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then that node two is further chunked where the root of it is a servant. And then you have two sub nodes of it called of God. And then the second one and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And then the next chunk is, Two, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And again, two is the root. The 12 tribes is a sub-bullet. And then another sub-bullet in parallel to the 12 tribes is scattered amongst the nations. And then a final note by itself, greetings, right? Now that seems kind of complicated. Like, why would you do it that way? But in my mind, seeing this sort of outline structure, you know, James, a servant, two greetings, and then underneath a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then underneath two, the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations, right? Structuring that way in my head, I can sort of see the verse as a, as a pattern, not as just a sequence of words. And so for me, the picture that's stuck in my head 
isn't, you know, a human being of James and then a human being of God and a human being of the Lord Jesus Christ and that sort of visual structure, but rather it's a, it's a, an abstract pattern that represents an outline where I can kind of go, okay, James, a servant of God, you know, and, and kind of work my way through that pattern. Now, why, why would I do it that way? Well, for me, structuring that outline made it a little bit easier for me to remember the verse and remember parts of the verse. And if I forgot something, usually I was forgetting something like a specific word within a particular tree of a, of an outline. I wasn't forgetting like a, a, an entire branch, right? So like, um, you know, and of, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, I might forget the word the, right? Uh, but I would still be able to under get of God and of, uh, well, it doesn't make sense to say of, Lord Jesus Christ, but that's a bad example. But like, like there might be a little article somewhere, an A or a the or something that I would miss or I would, I would get wrong or something in reciting, but I would get the structure correct. And so, you know, for interrogatives, that worked quite well for me. Um, similarly, like, and it wasn't like on a verse level necessarily. Verse one in James chapter one works really well for this, but like verse two and three, they, they don't chunk separately they they chunk together and of course you know scott you were talking about this with the fact that verse two doesn't end in a period um and that's true for me it was less about whether there was a you know a period of a punctuation that was there and more just sort of conceptually whether they were two sort of separate thoughts or one you know sort of singular thought that had just been divided up into two different ver- two or more different verses and so two two and three to me just they belong together so i would chunk them as a single node on this outline you know and consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters second node there and then third node whenever you subnodes of that face trials of many kinds and then the final node because and then the three nodes under that you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, right? So one of the nifty ways of doing that mentally, though, is that it made multiple answer questions really easy to jump to, right? Um, so like a servant of whom, right? Uh, it's like, oh, well, I already have it mentally structured where the two subnodes of a servant are the answers of the multiple answer, right? And so like uh, to whom, uh, which would be a terrible chapter verse reference question. But imagine you had a chapter verse reference question of like, you know, verse one to whom it's like, well, I immediately know like, okay, I can grab those two nodes of the tree underneath the word two and recall it that way. Um, So there's that, there's other ways of, there's a lot of other ways of doing it. Um, I really like the idea of the 1, 10, 15, 20 thing that you were talking about and then going back in. For me personally, that would be a terrible way of doing it because for me, I need, I need the context to, the closer something gets to pure rote, the harder it is for me. And so like if I memorize a verse connected with other verses, it was always easier for me to do that. Right. So like, and I would, I would recommend this, you know, uh, to quizzers that I was coaching instead of memorizing, you know, just the key verses or something, try memorizing a chapter, not just key verses within that chapter, that kind of thing. Like, like get yourself a, a consecutive set of material, even if it was short, like even if it was just 10 verses, get the consecutive material there. Because for me, 
uh, and I think for other quizzers too, having the verses in that order right next to each other was easier than just having them just sort of like out in the, out in the nothingness of non, of not knowing. So it, anyway, it, it is easier, but I find that that is a detractor in some senses, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why one thing that I have, I would always really, really hammer is quoting backwards. So I would quote James one eighteen and then one seventeen because when you're going forwards, you have all of the context and flow of the previous verse to help you remind you what the next verse is. But that almost never happens. And you're not given any context. Um, you're just plopped in an area with a phrase or a reference, and you have to be able to recall it. And in lots of scenarios – the quicker you can recall it after jumping and winning the jump, the better it will be, especially on chapter verse reference questions. So that's why I did not want to um, delude myself that I knew it well while only quoting forwards. Right, yeah. And I totally agree. I would call that, though, like iteration two or step two or something. I don't know. Maybe Absolutely. It's, right. But like, like for me, I would always memorize it in order consecutively and then – when I'm reviewing it, then it's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would try the, the quoting it backwards. I was always terrible at doing that. Um, but like try quoting it backwards. And then, um, my big, my, I was a big fan of skipping, um, doing every other verse. So like I'd, I'd quote one, um, one, three, five, seven, and then go back and go, you know, two, four, uh, six, eight, and so forth. And to me, that was a great way of like breaking it, breaking it apart mentally. And then also it really hammers your references at that point, right? Because you're like, I know exactly where verse five starts, right? And it's like, there is no way I'm going to start quoting in verse four if somebody says start quoting in verse five. Right, right. But I think you're, you're, your wisdom is correct that if you are have not memorized the entire material um, up until that point, it is much easier to memorize whole contiguous chunks than random verses here and there that you might just memorize if you were memorizing the key verse list, right? Yeah. Um, memorizing a whole chapter, you get all of that context. And for so many question types, I would say, what, situations, multiple answers, interrogatives, then um, maybe even chapter references – you're not really penalized by not being able to differentiate one verse from the one right above it or below it by reference. You're not penalized at all. And so the more contiguous material that you know, the more that you're going to be able to score well on all of the types that I just mentioned. Right, right. As much as I love the colored material, I actually found it to be distracting when memorizing uh, and marked up material. So like... Um, so, so when I'm writing questions, I absolutely need the colored material. Like, like it is a massive time saver. Um, there's, it doesn't give you a hundred percent of, you know, knowledge. You still have to, you know, do searches and so forth to be careful, but it's a, it's a great efficiency hack to be able to use the colored material. But I found for me, and I mean, your results may vary and I, Scott, maybe this is true for you. Having any kind of markup in the material was actually highly distracting for me. And even to the point of having punctuation, which I know is, is completely the opposite of what you were talking about with commas, right? Cause you're like, you're hoping that, that with the comma being there and you noticing it as a quizzer, hopefully the quiz master pauses, uh, when they, when they recite, when they're, they're reciting the material. And that's yet another clue. For me, punctuation actually got in the way of memorization except 
for chunking the material. So in other words, like I would open, open up the Bible and I would pull a verse out of it and I would chunk it into an outline. I, I ended up using word because it just had a super easy, somewhat stupid way of, of outlining. Uh, it was just an easy tool for me to, to, to use. Um, but like, I never copied the punctuation. I was only ever using the punctuation to be able to chunk into an outline form. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Scott, you, you, you come from a different point of view on that one then, right? Right. But I think this is a great thing to talk about because it's going to be very specific to the person, which is why I've always hesitated to say like this method of memorization is best, like in any sort of a universal sense. I think the only universal that I've settled on is while certain ways of memorizing will be easier for people, the more that the more different, the more different, um, the more ways that you can force yourself to interact with the material as far as listening to it, reading, writing, speaking, um, speaking aloud, speaking quietly, writing questions, like all this stuff, um, the more ways will get it more solid. But it's not that any one way is this shining superior way. Um, one thing that I did, this this might make your brain hurt and your eyes potentially bleed, but um, I marked up a the material with colors, um, bold italic and underline and different fonts to signify different things. Um, and it signified, I'm, I'm looking at it now, 14 different things across the document that I could just look at and know what I was looking at. But this would probably be the worst thing for you to look at if you were memorizing. Yeah, probably. But I mean, I can totally see the value of it because like, you know, when you're recalling a particular verse, you're remembering a visual pattern as much as you're remembering the words, right? Right, right. And so I can't remember, like, I, I definitely made this manually, but I think I worked to make each page match your own reference material so that everything was still also placed on a sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper the way that it was in the reference material. So that um, that was another thing that my mind was able to grab onto when I was trying to recall things. Yeah. I used, um, so I used electronic stuff. So like what I was, I mentioned, you know, translating everything, not translating, transcribing everything over into a word-based outline. I, I, I tried printing those out uh, and, and memorizing off of those printouts, but I, t I tended to not do that. I tended to just um, use the material on a computer. So I would memorize in front of a computer, right? Um, but I have heard that, uh, and I can totally get behind this idea, you know, some people have those little, um, the, the booklets, the study booklets, right? And they, they, they've attested to the idea of like, I, rem I, because it's a physical thing that I'm holding while I'm pacing and trying to memorize, like, I remember what, where something is in that based on like where my thumb might be holding a, a pointer to a reference on some page, right? So like, um, and I've, I've actually experienced this as a quiz master, you know, a quizzer will jump. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is at the top of the next page, right? And they'll mm -hmm. say that and the, and, the, and like in their head, like you can, you can, you can see them imagining like, oh, yeah, I've just turned the page and it's at the top of the page of my study booklet, right? And they're trying to remember it based on that visual image, right? So, I mean, did you, were you, you know, you obviously you were using a lot of tech, but did you print things out and use that physicality as, as a, as a, a tool as well? Um, I didn't use it as a tool for recall. 
right? So I definitely, I wrote questions out and I wrote unique words onto little one-sixth of a note card. Um, but I didn't use that for the, like, physical sense of recall. Yeah. But I, I, think did... I've, I, think, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but in college I had a roommate who would study for organic chemistry late at night and, like, until 3 a.m., and would drink Mountain Dew to stay awake while studying for organic chemistry. And then one morning, he went to his 9 a.m. organic chemistry, like, midterm or final, and then got back. And he was like, I sat down and started looking at my test, and then my mouth just started to taste like Mountain Dew. Oh. Because he had associated that with studying for organic chemistry. And it was just fascinating what, like, your brain does. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a horrible thought. Um, I, I am not a fan of Mountain Dew. You can wash it down with some uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee, Griffin. Oh, oh, torture. Absolute torture. Oh, my goodness. Well, any other, <laughs> on, on that bombshell, any other memorization notes before we move on to question writing? I don't, th- I, I don't think so. I just, I love to harp on do different things, right? Like, mm-hmm. and experiment and see like, oh, this like was really fun for me or this was really difficult. But then I found that when I got to the meet, I knew things really well and just kind of be curious and be experimental um, about how you memorize and review. And I, it can be really fun. Yeah. Audiobooks, um, get listening to the material on audio is, is an awesome superpower. Uh, the, I, I would also say understanding the material, like maybe reading a commentary on a chapter before you memorize could be helpful. I tried that once and thought it was a good idea, but I was so lazy. I never got around to doing it more than the one time. Um, so that might be another idea to, to throw out there. Um, but definitely audiobooks or, or audio listening to the material on audio is, is a great superpower. It is not useful well, okay, I shouldn't say that because everybody's different. And maybe it's maybe it's incredibly useful for some in a particular way. But for me, it was not useful for actual memorization. It was really great for getting a certain basic level of familiarity with the material before I memorized it. And it was really good as a low, I don't know, low brain power way of recalling the material after I memorized it. So like it was re- it was great to sandwich memorization with the audio, right? Like so listen to audio, memorize and then review by listening to the audio and and like quoting along with it or something like that. That was that was really great. And I mean, we've talked about this before, but I used audio when I didn't have the energy or motivation to do something more involved than that. And I think you can get in trouble saying, I'm going to memorize two verses a day because then if you miss a day, you failed. Yeah. Um, but if you say, um, I mean, this is the same setup, but it's less work, right? So if you say, I'm going to spend 10 minutes a day doing something and you're not focusing on a specific outcome, um, then maybe on a certain day, you've had a lot of other um, schoolwork and other things, responsibilities. So maybe you're going to just listen to the a recording for 10 minutes. Um, and I think you're going to be surprised at how well that kind of keeps the learning and the recall going. Um, even if it's not sit down and memorize two verses or 10 verses today. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. I would, um, I generally recommend somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes, but to say like spend 20 or 30 minutes per day memorizing where memorizing quote unquote is something, right? But it is not necessarily a number. It, it is definitely not a number of verses and it's not necessarily even like 
uh, going to the source material per se. Like it could, it could be in, it could be audiobook. I keep saying audiobook, but it's not really a book, but it could be listening to the material on audio. It could be, uh, taking the material and marking it up like, like what, you know, Scott, like what you were saying, or it could be creating outlines like what I was doing or whatever, right? Like, like be invested in the process of quizzing preparation for say 20 to 30 minutes per day, whatever that happens to be. Right. Um, and if you miss a day, okay, that's too bad. Try again the next day. Right. But, but try to keep going at, you know, whatever that interim, that, that number happens to be. I kind of hit 20 to 30 minutes because it's like, it's enough to make some kind of progress probably, uh, but not enough where you're going to feel burnout, uh, or feel like it's a burden, especially if you've got the sort of thing of like, yeah, you know, I'm all I'm going to do for 20 minutes is I'm going to sit in a quiet room and, or actually on a bus like this would, uh, I would do this when I was, um, working in downtown Seattle and taking a bus to wherever we were living at the time, which was somewhere north of Seattle. So it was like, it would, it would take like 40 to 45 minutes of me sitting on a bus. And so I don't know if you've ever ridden a bus in Seattle or downtown Seattle, but you generally don't want to talk to other people. So it was really great to just sort of sit there and look out the window and recite the verses in my head, right? So I didn't have any material in front of me, but like just reciting them in my head was, I would be like, okay, great. That's, I have, I have done some portion of review. Now that form of review by itself alone would uh, result in me quickly misremembering the verses where like I could get some interrogatives correct, but like good luck on the quotes and finishes. So like I would, I would absolutely have to supplement it with other sorts of, of, of things, but it was a good, I don't know, crutch isn't the right word. It was a good fallback position to, if I was just worn out and didn't want to invest, you know, new material memorization, I would just do a quick review. Um, and quick is not the right word because it was always 20 to 30 minutes. Um, it was a low energy consumption, uh, versus a high energy consumption. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to writing questions. And so we have Scott and I actually, oddly enough, we come to, so like if Scott was going to like write questions for chapter one and I was going to write questions for chapter one, and then at the end of our process, right. Um, Scott and I were going to, and let's say we're not going to try to write, you know, every question, you know, technically possible, but we're going to try to write as many good questions, right? Quote unquote, good as we can come up with from the material of chapter one at the end of both Scott doing it and my doing it, we would actually come up with a question set. I would be willing to bet uh, dollars to donuts, but not Dunkin' Donuts. Although actually Dunkin' Donuts are fairly good. It's the coffee that's bad. Um, I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that uh, the set of questions that we come up with at the end would be very similar, um, like ridiculously similar. Um, but how we get to those two, uh, how we get to th those questions is very, very different. So, um, Scott, why don't you walk through how you do it at a, in a, at a, at a kind of a high level, and then I'll talk about how I do it. And then let's, then, then let's look at some specific verses and, and dive into actual question writing. Uh, sounds good. And when I describe this, it might inform some of my, um, opinions about say question types and question type minimums and maximums and subtypes and things like that. But 
when I write questions, I largely don't try to write a specific type. I don't go in order of type. So the three types of questions that I think are very different are finish, quote, and situation. And in PNW, we have a firm Keyburst list. And so there's no writing of finisher quote questions. Like the verse, the verse list is decided by, by um, a group of people, but it's not a specific question writer who is like, I should write a finish this here and a finish the verse here. Um, and then situations are just also very, very different. And you kind of specifically have to write them. You have to look for the quotations and then figure out what are good things to ask about. Them. But then for everything else, I really ignored type. I didn't say I'm trying to write chapter references or interrogatives or multiple answers or anything. Um, I kind of wrote in two stages. And the first stage was I looked for multiple answer questions, but I didn't care if they were a multiple answer, a chapter reference, multiple answer, or chapter verse, multiple chapter verse reference, multiple answer. I just looked for questions that had two answers, um, which theoretically I could also write one that would be completely invalid right? Um, like not unique in the first five words and also couldn't be a reference for whatever reason. Um, so I would first do that and then I would go back and I would just write the question. So say for James 1.1, I would write James, a servant of whom? And that's all I would write. So I'd write James 1.1, James, a servant of whom? And then later I would go back and add in, um, the answers, and I would also add in the type. So then I would be searching the question, and I would say like, oh, this one that I wrote that is a multiple answer is actually not unique in the first five words. So, but it is in the um, if I give provide the chapter, so it it can be a chapter reference multiple answer. And then I would go through the whole process like that, and then I would start over and do the same thing, but for single answer questions. I would just write questions that um, I thought flowed well tested the material well, were clear, um, not awkward, but I wasn't caring about like, oh, is this um, key fast? Is it key slow? Is it a chapter reference? Is it a, um, and I did get into some situations which we can talk about or some scenarios which we can talk about later that maybe um, is, is a place that this process falls down. But in general, I didn't want to say I want to write this one type or I want to write X number of questions from a specific verse, um, or anything very prescriptive like that. I was just trying to write questions that sounded good and that tested the material well. Okay. So as bizarre as it sounds, like I I did I have a very, very similar philosophy and my process was extraordinarily different. Um so couple of things that you said, like you did not write questions ordered by type at all. Like you didn't sit down and be like, I'm going to write all, uh, I don't know, chapter reference questions or something like that. Right. Um, similarly, I, I didn't do that either. Um, with an exception. Um, so I would always write my, uh, quotes and finishes last, um, because, uh, again, that was based on the keyverse list that from PNW. So I would always write those as the last step of completing a chapter before moving on to the next chapter. So I always wrote, uh, by chapter. Um, and I would never move on to the next chapter until the, whatever chapter I was on was completed. Uh, the reason I did it that way was because I just wanted, it was a way to, to placehold 
like where I'm at, like to understand like, oh, I'm, I'm on chapter five right now versus being like, wait, which chapters have I done? Which passes on and having to track all that kind of stuff. Right. So I would just go, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Right. Um, but I would within chapter one, I would, I would not write any finishes or, or quotes. And I also wouldn't write situations until the end. Now, if, if it was a situation year, I would write the situations first. Sorry. Well, I would write all the other question types, then situations, then quotes and finishes, right? Um, but otherwise it was just quotes and quotes and finishes. Um, but other than that, in terms of the order by type, it was totally irrelevant. So like I, I took your philosophy and took it like a step further. Like I would not look for, you know, multiple answer questions. I would literally just be like, I'm looking at verse one. What are, what is, what are the best questions? What, like, what does this verse speak to me about? Right. Um, like, what are questions that I can pull, uh, from this material? And then how, what is, what is the best way to evoke both a question and an answer and a way to test the memorization qualities of a quizzer for that, uh, for that particular verse, right? So this would be, you know, and then once I, I would find something, I would be like, okay, that's, a, that's, that looks like a, it feels like a good question. It looks like it's covering a lot of material. And then I would say like, well, what is that? Is it an interrogative? Is it a, is it a multiple answer? Is it a reference? What kind of a reference is it? And that's where I would start doing checks and validities and so forth. But, and then, but unlike what you did, I would do all of the work for a given question in that moment, right? So like, if I, if I looked at, you know, James chapter one, a servant of whom, right. And I'd be like, okay, that's a multiple answer question. Um, I would completely write everything about that multiple answer and just be done with it before I moved on to the next question. Right. And then I'd be like, okay, scattered where, okay, great. That's an, that's an easy question. Obvious, uh, obviously correct among the nations, create an interrogative. Okay, great. Now move on. What's the, what's another good question that I can pull out of verse one and, and, Similarly to your perspective, um, I never considered whether the question was key, fast, or slow. Um, and in fact, like I bristled at the notion of falling into a rut of like always having, uh, like, like one of the things I could do in CBQZ because of the marked up material, it was very easy to write very short, key, quickly questions, right? And arguably it was too easy. It was a, it was, it was a, you know, you see a blue word, you're like, okay, great. I can, I can write something obviously correct, interrogative, super fast, based on probably interrogative, maybe, inter, uh, maybe a multiple answer based on, on the fact that there's a blue word, right? But that was, that was ultimately, uh, it was like sugar, right? Like too much sugar is bad. Um, because ultimately, uh, I, if I focused on that as a strategy, my question set would become way too key, way too quickly. And there's a lot of good questions that would get left on the cutting room floor there. So I was always looking for like, are there phrases of words or how do I ev evoke a question that gets the most amount of material into the question text and answer text, right? Um, how do I get the most amount of material for a quizzer to quote back to me, that kind of thing. Um, and sort of approaching the verse in a bunch of different ways. Once I felt like I had exhausted all of the good material that was out of a particular verse, then I would move on to the next verse, right? Now, in some cases, I would be looking at like blocks of verses. So like, you know, verses one and two together or two and three together. So like in James chapter one, two and three clearly belong together. So I wouldn't write 
exclusively everything that was from verse two and then exclusively everything from verse three and then move on and never come back to it. Like I would see verse two and three together and I would try to write as much as I could from that two and three block together. So there would be blocks of verses where I would be doing this. But the idea being that like once I got to say verse 10, I was never going back to verse four because like every good verse, I'm sorry, every good question that I could have pulled from verse four, I've already done right now. Maybe I would, I would miss one here and there, but the idea was like, I was never, I was never looking for like, uh, Ooh, I need to write, you know, chapter reference questions now, you know? And so I was never scouring the material looking for uh, chapter reference questions. It was more like, what does verse five need to be right uh and and so in in a sense like it was um i almost thought of it as sculpting and and cbqz really hammered the point home about this 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 modality that's not the right word um this this paradigm of you know a sculptor goes to a block of marble and the statue is already there it's just encased in a bunch of marble that needs to be you know deleted right um similarly the question is is already in verse five. It's just a question of like, I need to delete parts of, of verse five to form this question, right? That that's sort of how my mentality would work. And so, uh, in CBQZ, the way I would write is the first thing I would do, it would, I, I would click the copy verse button. Um, and so I've got, you know, verse five verbatim copied into both the question and the answer field. And now I'm just deleting things. And it turns out deleting is vastly faster than writing. So I could actually write questions incredibly quickly just by going, okay, I see the question. Let's delete everything that isn't this question, figure out the type that makes sense, check its validity, hit save, and then move on. So anyway, I have, uh, Scott, do you want to jump in here and, and kind of compare and contrast our different approaches uh any other thoughts you might have before we jump into like actually doing some uh some stuff uh here um i think i think you're right that our ways are very very similar i i did find it just easier to be in a slightly more specific headspace um which is why i liked to look for multiple answers and then look for single answers rather than going verse by verse um and also because just by i don't know i could go really really quickly and i wasn't worrying about um, the, the types. And then I would also, I was write in Microsoft Excel and I could also not write the verse numbers until I started a new verse. And then I knew I could just fill, fill down whatever was above it. Um, and I didn't have to do that. Keep writing in the book name or the chapter, uh, number until I switched. So I just, I tried to go as fast as I could through just writing questions. Cause I found that to be the easiest way for me to write both many questions, but also high quality when I was just really only thinking about the question and not worried about other stuff. Um, one thing that I also found that I would do is I would look at really good or at least reference questions that I thought were phrased really well. Um, and in Excel, you can count, and I would see, like, what are the reference questions that I think are phrased awesome, but I only wrote one of them, because I know that this phrase exists more than once. Um, that doesn't mean that it's going to be a great reference question in all occurrences. But m a lot of the time, when I went and found the other occurrences, I would find a reference question of an almost identical construct, if not identical, that I just missed. And so that is one way that I would go back often is I would look at 
reference questions that I wrote that I thought were amazing that I wrote very few other ones of, of that same phrasing. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in. Um, why don't we, as a practical, you know, so here, here we're going to write questions in real time, um, just so the audience knows what we're doing here. Um, if you want to follow along, open up James chapter one, we're going to be just looking at, I guess, verses one through five or one through three or something and say like, what, um, let's just kind of dive in. And so let's say, let's say, you know, Scott, you and I are looking at verse one. Um, why don't you, uh, maybe go through a couple of write up, write a couple of questions, you know, audio, audibly, audibly, Audi- audibly, audibly. Audibly. So audibly write a couple of questions out of verse one, and then I'll write a couple of questions out of verse one, and then we'll just kind of see where it goes. Right. So right off the bat, there's a great multiple answer there that I can see because the reference material is unique, um, but that doesn't have to be part of it. And actually, I wonder if we had everyone write questions without having the reference material, if the general structure would be different, right? I think there would be a lot less hunting for those one word um, unique, ba- unique word-based interrogative questions. Um, and I think it could be pretty interesting anyway. Um, but James, a servant of whom? That's a great multiple answer question. I would consider writing a servant of whom, um, which let's just search it up real quick. A servant of, so that's going to be a wonderful chapter reference mirror. So I might not have written it if it was just um, a multiple answer, but I'm definitely going to write it because it's a chapter reference multiple answer. Um, I feel like it is an excellent test as a chapter reference multiple answer, and it is just an okay test as a multiple answer. But I think it's a totally fine, um, it would be totally fine as a multiple answer um, if it were unique as such. So before you move on, I totally agree with everything you said there, but in terms of your, your, your evaluation of the value of that question, um, as a multiple answer chapter reference and, and why that has more value, but can you, can you dive a little bit deeper and explain why? Right. So I, when I'm writing questions, I think about like, what is going to be the best test? And when I say best, I don't mean hardest. But I'm, and I don't mean like cleverest, like because I'm not trying to trick anybody. Um, but I want to write questions that will allow quizzers of very similar ability and preparation, um, very similar but not exactly the same ability and preparation to differentiate from themselves over time. So if every question that I wrote is just like, see, I know James is a unique word. If it's just James, a servant of whom, and then 12 tribes scattered are all unique words, and I just write 12 what, what tribes, scattered where? Well, there could be a quizzer that knows the material amazingly and a quizzer that knows the material pretty well. And you know what? They're going to score the exact same on all of those four questions that I just said. And I don't want that. I want there to be a range of questions um, where difficulty is determined not just by the amount of content in the question and answer, but also in how long the question takes to become unique. While, and every question still needs to be phrased well and clear, like I'm not going to stretch um, that constraint to write a question that is very, that is unique very fast or unique very slow. Like it's, that's most important to me is that it's clear, but I want it there to be a range. And so like, to me, James, a servant of whom, is a very easy multiple answer, right? Unique word is first. It starts a verse. It starts a chapter. It, it starts the whole material. Um, and it could be that 
80% of quizzers in a given district will get that one right. Um, but a servant of whom, that's a chapter reference, multiple answer. Um, and I think it's a pretty tough one. Like a lot of our chapter reference multiple answers are based on one chapter reference word, where this is a three-word question. And when I say three-word, I'm counting just the words in the material, a servant of. And so because of that, I don't think it's a slam dunk chapter reference multiple answer. A quizzer writing their own questions and making a list may not even notice it. Um, and so they might just see, oh, James, a servant of whom? Multiple answer, moving on. Um, and because of that, I think it rewards quizzers who both know the material well and have constructed a chapter reference and multiple answer list that includes this question. Yeah, totally agreed. So the way you constructed your multiple answer there, uh, your your multiple answer chapter reference uh, question is a little bit different than I would. You include the word of in your question. I wouldn't. Um, and I do, obviously both of them are valid, right? And both of them are good questions. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you would include the of, and I can talk a little bit about why I wouldn't. I'm curious how you would write it because I think it flows way better when it's a servant of what, um, because I mean, can you just say quickly what your question would be? Well, so I would mean, you do what servant? Eh, you wouldn't. I, well, I wouldn't because I hate I hate proceeding. I hate inverting the 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 interrogative. It's totally valid to do it. I know it happens all the time. Um, this is just I don't know. It's a Griffinism. I don't like inverting the position of the interrogative based on the material. Like ideally, I want all of my questions to you replace the interrogative word with the answer, and you're correct. You know that kind of thing. Um, so I think in this case, um, a servant of whom absolutely it flows better it, without question. And so like you're, you're right. Um, Cause otherwise it doesn't make any sense now that I'm looking at it. But the reason I wouldn't like including the word of, and would try to figure out a way and then probably fail and give up of not including the word of, or of, of including the word of is because of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like having my multiple answers be flip floppable, right? Um, not logically, right? So, and I think we've talked about this in a past po uh, podcast episode. You know, if the, if it's what did, you know, Bob do? Well, Bob did A and then he did B. Well, you can't logically say and, you know, then B and A, right? Because A, happened before B, right? But but in terms of the material, you can flip-flop of them around the word and, right? Um, and similarly, like, I look at a servant, and then I see of God, and I see of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can say, like, in my mind, those are the two things, and the word and is the thing that that merges those two together. So, like, for me, I would want of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to be uh, in parallel to each other. Uh, but of course, in this case, I can't, I don't see a way to make that work that isn't super awkward. And I don't want to write an awkward question. Right. Um, other things that I would do or not do, I wouldn't write the question servant of whom. The phrase is a servant of whom, you know, like we don't walk around saying like, I'm going to store, he is friend. <laughs> Um, we say, I'm going to the store. He is a friend. And so similarly, like it is, it flows way better to say a servant of whom. Um, and so I wouldn't write it at servant of whom 
in order to be unique faster. I think that that's a poor motivation. I also wouldn't write what servant. It is definitely valid, but I think there's no reason to force that construct when we can just give the quizzer more material from the material. And I would rather do that if I can help it, right? Um, There are times where it says, like, God is, uh, or Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Like, that's a great leading interrogative word question. Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Um, But if, I mean, we see this a lot, right? Where it's um, a thing of thing. And we write, like, what thing? And just write a thing of what? Just do that every time to me seems so much clearer um, unless you aren't able to do that because of the way that the f- the phrasing is. Yeah. I don't have a problem with servant of what, um, but I think a servant of what is better. Um, and, and I'll explain why. It's It flows better, right? It is more how we talk, um, which, is, which is great. Um, but I think also it causes a, you know, my, my default is going to be not default. I'm going to be drawn by the fact that the material is marked up to write more key, quicker questions than I would be if the the material was not written up or marked up. Right. And I know this and I know my bias and it's, and, and it's an unintentional bias. I don't want to write that way, but I know that I'm going to be generally moving in that direction or being pulled in that direction because of, of the color markup. Therefore, when I'm looking at, you know, a servant, I'm like, I really want to put the A in there because it helps to balance against the, 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 the sort of gravity pull of, of the color, right? So like 12, what is definitely a question I'm going to write because it's super valid. It's super easy. It's really straightforward. Um, I want to have, for the reasons that you talked about, I want to have a balance of questions pulling in the other direction because just like what you're saying, it, it gives, uh, folks who have memorized more to a greater degree an opportunity to differentiate themselves that wouldn't otherwise exist. Yep. Should we continue on with the verse? Yeah. Um, do you have anything more on, on one? We are running a little short on time. So I was, I definitely wanted to get into two and three. Yeah. Just real quick. Like, I wouldn't write 12 what, I think it's fine, but the phrase is to the 12, and I would love to include that like point of the material, right? This is a letter to people, um, and if I can start the question there, um, I think it's clear, and I would want, I think that's a much better test um, than just yeah, to the 12 Yeah, I, I what. totally agree. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, to, to the 12 is a much better question. But I think you could also write um, to the, tw- and also I wouldn't write to the 12 what, I would just say to the 12 tribes scattered where. Like, I don't see a big reason to truncate it that quickly. Um, But even if I wrote to the 12 tribes scattered where, I also think that scattered where is a great question. And I would write both of them. Um, They start in different spots. And I think they are testing different things in the material. Um, And so even though those two questions I just said have the exact same answer, um, I think they're, they're a different enough test that I would want to write them both. Yeah, I, t- I absolutely agree. And I think there's a lot of missed opportunities when we don't consider the material that way. Um, because here's the thing to the 12 tribes scat tribes. There we go. I said it correctly to the 12 tribes scattered where in 
most contexts, you're never going to read the entire question, right? So ultimately, what you're testing in the recall of people is to the twat or something, to the twelve or something like that. That's that's what you're getting out as a quiz master, testing the somebody's recall of that portion. And granted, it goes and flows through the 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 you know among the nations as the answer but that's sort of the the trigger point right scattered is an entirely different trigger point and i would absolutely mm-hmm. want to have both of those things both of those questions even though it ultimately ends at exactly the same spot right after the word nations i would include both of those questions because they are testing different trigger points for what's in a quizzer's uh prepared mind Yep. Trigger points, I think, is a great way to say it. Now, I wouldn't write the questions like, to the 12 what? The 12 what? 12 what? Like, I would say, like, okay, which of these do I think is the best? And I think to the 12 what or to the 12 tribes scattered where is the best test. And there's no reason to then start it at the the and then the 12. Even though those are different trigger points, I don't think they're quite different enough. Yeah, agreed. Well, let's uh, take a look at verse 2 and 3. Um, I'll throw out one wild idea Imagine a question, interrogative, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, why? Is this a good or bad question? I think it's a great question because I think, so I think it's on the longer side of questions and I, I wouldn't want all of them to be that long, but I think it gets real awkward if you try to start it at any point later than consider But the way that the question ends, like whenever you face trials of many kinds, why? Like that's the point of verses two and three. And so I love verse three being the entire answer to a why. It's really clear. It's really punchy. Um, But And I just think it would be real awkward to start it at like pure joy, my brothers and sisters, or whenever you face trials of many kinds, why? Because um, even though there's no requirement to write questions that make sense grammatically (laughs) – um, if I wrote, whenever you face trials of many kinds, why, nothing in my question includes the reason that I'm asking why. Um, and so I would want to try to include that, the considerate pure, pure joy. And like, that's the why. Yep, or the like, the I reason totally, for the why. I didn't describe it very well, but. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great question. It's very long. Um, I definitely wouldn't want all questions or even a lot of questions to be that long. But in the case of verses two and three, I think it just screams uh, as a, as a question. It, it screams to me as uh, verses two and three needs to have that question be written, uh, if, you know, from my perspective. And that kind of goes back to that, that sculpture thing. Like, like the questions are there in the material and they are calling out to be sculpted, you know, right. Like, like, it's not like I'm looking at verses two and three as content and, and trying to be clever and like pull questions out of the material. I'm, I'm looking at the material and saying, what is naturally already there? Like, like, um, and all I have to do is just expose it by cutting away the other material. Now, in this particular case, I'm not cutting away any material, uh, which is, you know, pretty awesome. Um, uh, but that's sort of the, the mindset I'm, I'm, you know, hitting when I, when I go there. So testing of what? Uh, short question, uh, key very quickly. I would um, say the, the testing of what? The testing. Yeah. I mean, I, you could put, you could put the in there. Um, and again, this goes back to the whole notion of like, you know, the blue words are calling to me and I need to push away from that, that instinct. Yep. And I'm just, you know, I don't think it's artificially making the question unique slower, 
but that's like how we talk. Like we have articles in our in our daily um, language, and so I'm going to include them if I think it makes it flow better. Um, right. On verse two, I probably would write consider it pure joy, whom even as a multiple answer, even though it's a little awkward, right? Because um, the only answer you can require at that point is my brothers and sisters. Um, and it's very awkward to just end there in the middle of the verse. But I probably would still write that as a multiple answer. Um, I probably would also write whenever you face what um, as an interrogative. I probably am only writing a, an interrogative starting with whenever because I can see that it's a unique word. But I think that it flows reasonably well. Um, you, you, wouldn't use, oh. you wouldn't use what? Like consider it pure joy uh, my what? Oh, I, you could do that too. I think okay. um, it does. that doesn't matter at all because this is going to be a pure multiple answer, no references. And so I don't sure. think that's a material difference, um, but I think both are equally valid. And I might even consider them to be equally good. Um, you can get into the discussion of whether the my – like I think with the way that the, the verse is written – you can kind of think of parentheses around brothers and sisters. And so the my kind of gets applied to each because um, it's because you could argue that the way that I wrote my question, consider it pure, pure joy whom one answer is my brothers and one answer is sisters. But I don't think that's the point of the verse. So that no, my I agree. Kind of gets, yeah. Is it com- not commuted? It kind of just gets duplicated, distributed. distributed yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the distributive property in mathematics. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree, and that's why I, I mean, obviously, both questions are are equally valid. I think the my being part of the question instead of part of the answer is incrementally, microscopically more good. How's that? Yep, I can get behind that. I don't think there's really any other way to test the beginning of the verse. Um, other than just starting a question to consider, I wouldn't start any question at it, pure or joy. And I don't think there's any question you can write with a leading interrogative word up there. Um, whenever you face trials of many kinds, I don't, I don't think you can really write anything else. You could say trials of what, or whenever you face what, but there's nothing you can really, you wouldn't ask what of many kinds. I think that that's too awkward to write, even though it would be valid. What joy chapter reference, would you write that? Yeah, I like that one. Um, pure joy. I would definitely search to see if um, where joy appears elsewhere. Because if joy appears, um, let's see here, a lot of places. So it's your and your joy to gloom, joy in the Holy Spirit, all joy, um, with joy. So yeah, I think you know if it if it occurred one other spot and it was also pure joy, then I think what joy is less of a good test since the quizzer doesn't have to know which chapter they're in um, to get it right. Now, you could still say they still have to at least get the answer right, which I think can be an argument for writing a reference question even if all occurrences have the exact same answer. Um, But if it's something like the Word of God, I wouldn't write a lot of the Word of Whom reference questions if the answer is always God, but I could definitely see the argument for what joy being a good chapter reference, even if it occurs to one other place and it is also pure joy. Yeah. All right. Well, any other thoughts on two and three? We're a little over time. Um, you want to hit three real fast? We could. I mean, uh, I mean we we've hit, already sort of we did. We, <laughs> we sort of, we have sort of hit three. Um, what looking at verses four and five real quick here, what would you say are like some really 
obvious good questions from say four and five. Right. So I mean, my my eyes go to mature and complete. So yeah, I would write so that you may be. I would use that in some form of a reference question, right? Whether it's so that what, um, so that what would be a um, single answer. Um, and then so that you may what or so that you may be what would be a multiple answer. And I don't know if there actually might be a three-word unique phrase in there. But I definitely would write some question based off of – some multiple answer question based off of that. Um, I don't know. I think finish what is a good um, – one word interrogative question off of a unique word. There's no article before it. So like I, I, I would also write like let perseverance what, but I think that's kind of a different trigger point than finish what. Um, can't. It's really hard to test the not lacking anything because. Um, well, so here's the thing. Wouldn't you include that in the multiple answer, right? So like um, so that you may be what, right? Mature, mature and complete obviously included. But I think not lacking anything is the third part of the multiple answer. It is, but you can't require it because of the negative rule. Oh, yes. Ugh, I hate that's true. Freaking hate that rule. Right. And so I think it's really interesting. Like, let's say it was not mature and complete, but it was just mature. So that you may be mature, not lacking anything. Uh, or let, so that you may be complete, not lacking anything. I think that even though the positive negative makes that so that you may what um so that you may be what you can't write that as a multiple answer i think you could write so that you may be what complete as a interrogative because the other quote-unquote possible answer is invalid would you think that that would be a valid single answer interrogative i think yes i think the way that the rule book is written right now i i think yes that it is valid and i hate that that it is valid because to me it it just it just demonstrates yet another reason why the, the positive and negative rule needs to be burned with unquenchable fire. Right, because I think that's real confusing. So that you may be what? Complete as one answer, as a one answer question. I think that is the way to interpret the current state of the rule book. Um, but I think that that's a pretty misleading thing for a quizzer to face. Although, if they just quote the verse, like – there's no chance for them to get it wrong because they were confused unless they like do the mental calculus and are like, well, it can't be that that has two answers and then don't even give that as an answer. Um, so you could say that the potential downside is small. Right. Yeah. And then for five, um, five starts with the word. If I, if I write any questions starting with, if I want it to include um, the other part of it. So I will not write if any of you lacks what um, wisdom. Cause like, why Why is the if there now? Like, we don't know. So I would write, if any of you lacks wisdom, what? Or you should what? Um, because then it, you, the full question and answer has expressed a complete thought rather than half of a thought. Yeah, I would I would write it the same way as you, but for a different reason. Not disagreeing with your reasoning, because I think your reasoning is valid. But I would also write it the way you suggest, because... It basically provides you like, like if any of you lacks what, or sorry, re reverse that. Actually, no, no, no. Let's, let's do that. If any of you lacks what versus if any of you lacks wisdom, what, uh, the, in both cases, you're never going to get past the word lacks. Like you probably won't even get that far in the, you know, upper levels of competition, right? Um, but even, even in, you know, consolation quizzing, like you're not going to get past the word lax. So 
why on earth would you stop short and only allow wisdom to be a correct answer when you can you can say yeah you should ask of god or sorry not of you should ask god uh and say okay great that's required uh which is a more uh fuller a more fuller uh evocation of of i'm not using the right words today it tests the material more effectively more completely right so it gives those who have spent more time with the material more of a chance to differentiate themselves right and now here's the question then um if you say if any of you lacks wisdom what would you include the who gives generously to all without finding fault um i think that is up to the question writer right because that is modifying god and i don't think there's any requirement to include it or to not include it. And I also feel strongly that as a quiz master, whatever the question writer chooses in this case, you should not change it on the fly. Um, and I don't know. I think it's a kind of a feel thing. I think um, the modifying like the modifying of God is very, very clear. So I think it's totally fine to require the whole thing. Um, but I think it's also fine to just ask the very clean, if any of you likes wisdom, you should what? ask God. Or if any of you likes wisdom, what? And just the very simple, you should ask God. So I'm going to slightly disagree with you. Um, so if you should, if, or if, if, if the question ends, uh, you should what, then I don't think you can include the who. Um, but sure. if it, if it ends before that, um, I think it is, I mean, to be, let's start with what I agree with you on. Um, so both ways are including the who or not including the who both ways are absolutely valid, right? Um, whether the who, and it's, and I totally agree. It's up to the question writer. It is not up to the quiz master. If I'm the quiz master and I get one that doesn't include the who, or it includes the who I must follow what's on the card. What quote unquote card, right? It's in CBQZ or whatever, but I, I don't, I don't I, think I, you, I don't think you must as required by the rules, but I think that that sh is a best practice, right? Unless you think the question is invalid. I don't think you should be changing questions on the fly just because you think that they can be improved upon. Yeah, I I don't know. I might even go so far as to say I think it is I, – I, I would struggle to find the exact point. But I don't think the Quizmaster has the authority to uh, change the question on the fly. Like, I think the quiz master, I, I mean, I have a more strict interpretation of the rule book that says, like, if the rule book doesn't say it, the quiz master doesn't have the ability to do it, you know, kind of thing. And I think because the rule book is silent on it, I don't think the quiz master has the authority to do it. But that part aside, um, you and I completely agree, like, the quiz master ought not to, right? Um, yes. It, you know, that kind of thing. Um but where I will disagree um, is I think that if if we're putting our question writer hats on, not our quiz master hats on, I think it is, again, slightly better to require the who uh, clause because it, it it provides more of an opportunity for quizzer differentiation. Sure, but I think that there's – you could take that to the logical extreme, and I'm not interested in writing like interrogatives that span three verses. And so, you know – it's always a balance between um, how difficult do I think this is, but also how clear and reasonable do I think this is. And I think that I don't have to push every question to like, what is the longest possible content that I think makes enough sense? 
Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, it's a bell curve, right? And and right, you can you can artificially make something shorter, which I think is not good, or you or you can artificially make it longer, which is equally not good for the same reasons, right? I'm just thinking like somewhere in the middle of the curve is optimal, and I think optimal is um you know something where I'm not stretching, I'm not trying to be clever, I'm not squinting so that I can include more, but rather it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a clause that clearly modifies God. It's right there. It's directly flowing through. Um, there's no reason not to include it. And there are reasons to include it. So like, to me, it's like, it's a, sort of a slam dunk of like, it's, it's a marginally better valid question to include it than to not. Yeah, I think I agree. In general, I think modifying phrases are good. They can sometimes be awkward when they do run for like an entire long verse. Um, yeah, that, that does happen. But I think this one is definitely on the shorter side of modifying phrases. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are definitely over time at this point. But any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I think this was fun. And we would definitely love feedback on if people enjoyed this and what your own thoughts are, because we could absolutely do more of it. Yeah, we absolutely could. We <laughs> We could go. Uh, we could go into much more detail on. Uh, I mean, we talked about interrogatives and multiple answers here. We didn't talk too much. I mean, we talked a little bit about reference questions, but we didn't really do a lot of those, and we certainly didn't cover any. Uh, you know, what makes a good finish and what makes a good quote. Um, if you are in a world that does not have a pre-established key verse list, although maybe we should talk about that at some point. Um, because effectively those things are the same, right? Either establishing a key verse list or as a question writer, making the choice of does this verse, uh, rise to the level of a quote or a finish and does it make a good quote or finish versus a quote to or, uh, finish this in the next or whatever or, or finish this, um, and so forth. So that might be a good, uh, set of things to talk about maybe on a future podcast, but on that bombshell, we should close because we're a little over time. Um, please email us your thoughts and your disagreements, most especially. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is iq at cbqz.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And if you are on the Bible Quizzing Slack forum, you can chat with us in near real time on the Inside Quizzing channel. And that, with that, I will say thank you all and thank you, Scott. Thank you, Griffin, and thank you, every listener. 